This is Richard Pothig, and this is a continuation of my autobiography, and this is a reading of Chapter 7, Getting Religion on the East Side. During my freshman year at the College of Worcester, I wrote my Aunt Helen for information about my grandfather's socialist background. Our freshman English course had been assigned to write an essay on family history. I told my Aunt Helen that since coming to Worcester, I began to recognize that my family background was different from most of my classmates. I had also come to the conclusion that my grandfather's socialist beliefs might need more serious consideration, so I was writing to learn about his experience and thinking. My Aunt Helen's reply came back, How can you consider being a socialist? You're studying to become a minister. Your grandfather was a socialist and he didn't believe in religion. He didn't see that the church had been much help to the working people in Germany. In fact, he thought that many people in the church were against what really working people wanted. He would have nothing to do with organized religion. The southeast region of Germany from which both my grandmother and grandfather had come was a Protestant region. The Pothic family was listed in the mid-19th century records of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bischofswerda, Saxony. My grandfather Pothic's mother, Augusta Caroline Gottlieber, was a Lutheran. On a trip to southeast Germany in 1993, I found the record of her confirmation in 1839 at the Lutheran Church in Grossdrebnitz, a village four miles outside of Bischofswerda. My great-grandfather, Johann August Pothig, was a Fabrikarbeiter, a factory worker in the mid-19th century city of Bischofswerda. His son, my grandfather, Alvin Richard, was a cigar maker, a trade which laid the foundations for his politics. The cigar makers, who usually worked together in small factories, had the practice of choosing one of their number to read to them while they made their cigars. The person chosen to be the reader would be given an amount of cigars by their co-workers equal to the number of cigars he would have made. The cigar makers were among the intellectuals in the labor force. They were political thinkers and among the earliest trade unionists and social democrats. It was his socialist ideology which prompted his split from the church. Religion, if it made it into the Pothic family, usually came through the spouse. My grandmother, Pauline Roch, undoubtedly had some religious background. On our wall hangs the gold-embossed marriage document of my grandmother and grandfather. They were both from Bischofswerda area. My grandmother moved with her family to Dresden when she was in her teens. Her father, who was a farmer in Schönbrunn, a town outside Bischofswerda, had lost the family farm in gambling. Alvin Richard had met Pauline Roch before she moved to Dresden. My grandfather Alvin Richard Pothig left Bischofsfeder at the height of Bismarck's anti-socialist campaign in the early 1880s. He arrived in New York in 1881. My grandmother followed in 1882. They were married in St. Paul's German Methodist Episcopal Church at 55th Street on June 16th, in 1883. Although there was a church marriage, no formal connections were ever made to a church. 
My grandfather's convictions were strong enough that none of their six children were baptized. My grandmother, however, had held on to her residual religious belief. I remember when I visited my grandmother in the years after my grandfather had died. She would be listening to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. While my father had no religious background, my mother had a strong religious upbringing. The sections of Germany from which her mother and her father came were largely Protestant regions. My grandfather Paul Schosel was from Breslau and Schlesia. His family lived in Oberlangen-Bilau, in the outskirts of Breslau. They were faithful Lutherans. I have my great-grandmother's Maria Elizabeth Münster Gesangbuch, an 1839 edition of the Evangelical Church Augsburgsburger Confession. This hymnal, together with a morning and evening prayer book, was given to Elizabeth Schosel, my grandfather's sister, by her mother when she came to America in 1885. My grandmother, Alvine Seifert, was from Bremen, Vegasach, in northwest Germany, where both the Reformed and the Lutheran traditions existed side by side. She was confirmed in a church which was the first congregation in northwest Germany to unite these two traditions on the 300th anniversary of the Reformation in 1817. Her grandfather, Gerd Bauer, was employed as the Kirchendiener, or the sexton, of the church in the mid-1800s. After I was born, my mother brought me for baptism to the Evangelical Lutheran Zion Church on 84th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue. It was the church in which she and her railing cousins had been confirmed. Dr. William Popke was the pastor. The worship services were conducted in both German and in English. My baptism in 1925 was the last time I was officially related to the Lutheran Church. After her mother's death in 1926, my mother had a falling out with the pastor, Pastor Popke. She, however, did not give up on her own religious beliefs. Her sickness continually reminded her of life's fragility. She longed to find a place where she could feel at home. The opportunity came when I reached Sunday school age. One of our family's good friends in our tenement was the Charles Masick family. Charles Masick worked in Sperry Gyroscope Corporation on Long Island. And like many Czech people in our neighborhood, they had come out of the Czech Brethren background, which was within the Reformed tradition. One day, Mrs. Masick asked my mother if I was attending Sunday school. My mother told us that she was looking for a Sunday school for me. Mrs. Masick told my mother about the Goodwill Sunday School just around the corner, up on 80th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenues. This was what my mother had needed to hear, a Sunday school nearby and within her own religious tradition. Thus it was that I became part of the Goodwill Sunday School in 1931. Goodwill was the east side mission of the Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, which begun the Sunday school under the ministry of Henry Sloan Coffin. I began my religious education at the age of five years. 
My enrollment at Goodwill was one of the fortuitous events in my life. The walk to Goodwill on Sunday morning was a short one. Around the corner from 1st Avenue and up 80th Street and across 2nd Avenue and halfway to 3rd Avenue, Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church rented space from a Hungarian Baptist church. The building was a two-story red sandstone structure. There was an iron gate along the front of the building and a high set of red stone stairs leading to a large double wooden doors. You climbed the stairs, and with extra energy you pulled open the large wooden door. It opened into a large vestibule of the building. Immediately on the right was an enclosed chapel in which the Hungarian congregation held its service. On the left, there was still another high set of stairs to climb. The stairs wound round until you reached the second floor. There you pushed open a set of swinging doors into a large meeting room. The room was spacious, with large windows and a stage in front. Here we held our assemblies and our opening worship. Then we divided into classes around tables in a large room. It was the people at Goodwill that I most remember. They were a marvelous mixture of folk who came both from the neighborhood and from the staff of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. Most were of Czech or German background. They were members of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church and had been recruited to teach at Goodwill. Some were from the east side and easily related to the young people gathered in the Sunday school. The east side in this case was the area east of the 3rd Avenue elevated line, or the L. East of the L was viewed as the working class tenements. The young people at Goodwill attended the Sunday school until they were 12 years old when they would graduate to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, or MAPC as we called it. This was done for a purpose since MAPC was located at Madison Avenue and 73rd Street, a healthy walk for younger elementary school children. MAPC was also out of familiar social surroundings. Besides Sunday school, there were other activities which attracted me to Goodwill on Sunday morning. There was a chance to sing in the choir or to play in a rhythm band. These were taught by Horace Hollister, a staff member of MAPC. He devoted himself faithfully to the children of Goodwill, even though most of his work was at the big church. I was a particularly mean cymbal and triangle player in the rhythm band. I was also a budding thespian in the biblical dramas which were part of our religious education. I played an appealing Joseph with my coat of many colors. Goodwill was intent on expanding our experience and skills and also our chance to get into the country. Not many young people ever got out of their neighborhood. I appreciated the excursions out of the city. Mr. Riker, one of my favorite teachers, regularly devoted his Saturdays to drive a number of us out beyond the city into the country for picnics or to play ball. Harriet Andrus, a saintly older woman who had been a missionary to Turkey, took a special interest in me. On occasion, she would take me down into the lower Manhattan Kasbah, where there was a collection of Middle Eastern shops. She used the Kasbah to set the stage for an understanding of our biblical heritage. She acquainted me with a variety of goods and the people who had come from the countries of the Eastern Mediterranean. I had begun to collect stamps. 
She provided me with stamps from Palestine. In return, she asked that I write Bible stories about the stamps for the Goodwill Sunday School paper. The superintendent of the Goodwill Sunday School was W.W. Hall. W.W. Hall was an elderly man, balding, who wore silver-framed glasses and had a happy countenance. He always wore a vest with a gold watch chain. His voice and language were different than any I had heard before. I remember his warm tones and correct pronunciation. I would call it cultured. He knew all the students in the Sunday school by name. He knew that I was a stamp collector. And one Sunday, he asked my friend Harry Fisher and me to come to his apartment and choose from among the stamps he had gathered on his many journeys around the world. This was a big occasion for Harry and me. W.W. Hall lived on Park Avenue in a high-rise apartment with a canopy out over the sidewalk. This was our first venture into the world of Park Avenue. We had passed these huge apartment houses on our walks to Central Park, but now we were being ushered in by a doorman. The doorman called upstairs on an intercom to make sure that W.W. Hall was at home. Mr. Hall answered and said he was expecting us. The doorman showed us to an elevator. When the elevator stopped at his floor, the door immediately opened into his apartment. It was spacious, with rooms going off in all directions. The apartment had an abundance of natural light, and from its windows there was a view of wide Park Avenue. We were in another world less than a mile from First Avenue. Now we knew how people on Park Avenue lived. Later in life, I was to meet Cameron Hall, W.W. Hall's son. Cameron also had been a member of MAPC and was a Presbyterian minister. He had begun his ministry in Hell's Kitchen on Manhattan's west side. Cameron was dedicated to work for social justice and became the director of Social Education and Action Department of the Presbyterian Church in the late 1930s. He went on to head the division of the church and economic life of the National Council of Churches in the 1950s. Cameron was responsible for an innovative work on the ministry of the laity and their occupations and professions. In the summer of 1982, I visited Cameron in his Garden City home. It was just prior to his move to live in a retirement community in the Philadelphia area. The interview I taped of our conversation was published in the publication American Presbyterians in the spring of 1994. The event which remains vivid in my memory was the Model League of Nations which the Goodwill Sunday School enacted in 1936. It was beyond comprehension to think of a Sunday school engaging in a subject of such sophistication. Undoubtedly, some of the Goodwill staff debated whether elementary school students could deal with the conflicts of the 1930s with any understanding. Even more amazing was that one of the issues the students were to debate was the invasion of Abyssinia by Italy. The invasion and the censure of Italy was before the League of Nations, League Assembly in Geneva. Nobody in the Sunday school would play Italy. I finally said I would take the role of Italy. 
One of my good friends was Tulio Stanio, whose family owned the local fruit and vegetable store on my block. In loyalty to Tulio, I agreed to play Italy during the session of our Mark League of Nations. At the age of 10, friendship was stronger than the intricacies and complications of world politics. My mother bought me a navy blue suit for the occasion. This was a considerable investment for her. She was excited the night of the League of Nations enactment. The second floor meeting room of the Goodwill Sunday School had a large crowd of family and friends. The League of Nations session was held on the stage around a number of tables formed in a square. I was the target of many of those playing other countries. I finally stood on my feet to defend Italy. I can't remember what I had said, but I'm sure it was of no great defense. Since Italy had little justification in its evasion of Abyssinia and had bad press to boot, I must have had some prompting from my teachers. Nevertheless, my mother came away from the even pleased with my performance. Even more satisfying to her was that the people told her afterwards that I looked like a little minister playing my part during the session. For a son of the working class, this was a high compliment. I marvel today at the imagination which staff of the Goodwill Sunday School used in opening up the world to the young people of the East Side. We were being prepared at a young age to see the relevance of faith to the issues facing the world. This was for me an early grounding in the social justice dynamic of the Reformed faith. Looking back over 40 years of my ministry in the church, it was my mother's decision to send me to Goodwill that laid the foundation for the rest of my life. She herself reestablished her connection to her own religious roots. She no longer attended Sunday worship. Goodwill did not have a regular adult worship service, but there were adult education programs to which parents were invited. She made an effort to get to these programs. It was not until 20 years later that I learned of her participation. On a trip to Dayton, Ohio, after I had met and married Eunice Blanchard, we were visiting her home congregation in Dayton. It was called Westminster Presbyterian Church. I was in the church offices and was introduced to a middle-aged woman, Dorothy Kecker. I said, Dorothy Kecker? That's a familiar name, I thought. It was a name out of the past. I remember hearing the name from my mother during my days at Goodwill, and I asked, were you ever at Goodwill Sunday School in New York City? Yes, and I had your mother in my adult class. That is, if you're the same Richard Pothick that I remember. Dorothy had taught an adult class at Goodwill during the mid-30s. She was a student at Biblical Seminary, which was later to become New York Seminary. Her field work at Biblical Seminary was to teach adults at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church's Goodwill Sunday School. She remembered my mother as one of those who was a part of her Bible class. She told me that she was a very earnest student and was faithful in her participation during her time as a teacher. This was like discovering buried treasure. This was the one conversation in my life which gave me any clue about my mother's religious interest. The fact that this meeting happened in Dayton, Ohio, 20 years after Dorothy Kecker had served at Goodwill was an act of grace. 
In retrospect, my beginnings at Goodwill Sunday School were central to the road I took, not only in a choice of vocation, but in my perspective on life. The influence of a church school education is never apparent in your early years. Many other influences are at work during years of elementary and teenage growth. Public school and your quest for knowledge and experience provide a continual force for change. Time on the streets in your teenage years can be crucial for determining which direction you take, but the impact of goodwill was strong. There was encouragement to express your creativity and to affirm your independence, to explore new avenues and to discover who you are in the eyes of God. There was a real sense in which my religious education was a liberating experience. Early experiences shape the thoughts, the values, the perspective out of which you will make decisions along the way. Against the background of a tenement life and life on the street, the people and the activities at Goodwill fill the void. The people of Goodwill had a dedication and a commitment to young people that gave witness to the validity and the vitality of the Christian life. Here there was something to take hold of and to know that it was a way into the future.